0: Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to today's episode of the Limitless Grit Podcast. I'm really, really looking forward to sharing this one because Andrew Campbell has to be one of the most hardworking humans I've ever ever had conversation with. So Andrew graduated from Harvard University in 2014 and competed in 2016 Olympics for rowing. So what makes him so unique and what attracted me towards the story is that he was working full-time in finance while he was training for the Olympics and for two years this guy was working and training, working and training without any excuses. In today's podcast, Andrew talks about how he sets his goals and what steps does he take in order to achieve those goals. Andrew also talks about his experience of not making into the London Olympics and how he manages his time. Andrew also explains how he was not the most talented rower when he first started and what he did to become one of the best rowers. So guys, I really hope you enjoy this conversation, and without further ado, Andrew Campbell. Hey Andrew, welcome to the show. I'm super happy to have you. Um, but for people who don't know who you are, just give us a little background.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Andrew Campbell. I'm a uh, rower. I rode in the 2016 Olympic Games for the United States. Um, I grew up in New Canaan, Connecticut, a town outside of New York City. Um, I started rowing as a seventh grader in, uh, in Norwalk, Connecticut at Maritime Rowing Club. I did that all through high school, competing on the national and then eventually international level as a U19. Um, I, after high school, went and rowed lightweight at Harvard University. Um, every summer during college, I kept training and uh, competed for the U.S. as a lightweight single scholar. And then for the two years after I graduated from college, I trained full-time in Boston, Mass., um, and competed internationally in the lightweight double, and eventually went on to represent the U.S. at uh, this past Olympic Games.
0: That's that's amazing. So how did you get started with rowing? Is, um is your family into rowing, or how did you first um, got started with it?
1: Yeah, I um, my family uh, were not rowers originally. Uh, my dad was a swimmer, and I think that endurance sports were always celebrated in our house growing up, so it's a sort of natural progression. But actually, my family was living in um, the Chicago area um, in a town that was on Lake Michigan uh, when I was – in like fifth and sixth grade, and I started sailing in the town sailing program. There was just like a community, you know, boathouse that had a bunch of little dinghies. and I started sailing there. Absolutely loved it. Um, but when my family moved to the East Coast, there weren't the same uh, opportunities for like a public sailing program, and my parents didn't want to join a yacht club or anything like that, and so. I decided to try rowing because I thought it would be like sailing. As it turns out, it's not that much like sailing, (laughs) but I, it's, I stuck with it and, uh, yeah, the rest is history.
0: Wow. So were you always good in rowing or is that something you became better, um, over time?
1: Um, I was initially not very good at rowing. I was always a little bit undersized until like the end of high school. And, uh, yeah, I started rowing with this group of four other guys who were awesome and we all pushed each other pretty, pretty hard. Um, and for, you know, the first several years of my rowing career, I was the worst out of that group of five. (laughs) Um, so I actually started rowing the single, um, because I was the odd man out of the quad.
0: (laughs) Wow. So what clicked that you know, uh, you went from being one of the worst to becoming one of the best and eventually competing in Olympics. Like what was that moment?
1: Um, it, it sort of, I think was really a development in the, the way I was taking the rowing stroke. Like it was, it just took a few years for me to really wrap my head around the mechanics of, um, of, you know pushing a boat through the water cuz right it's not a natural motion no one is born knowing how to row like you're you're kind of born knowing how to run it's uh-huh. sort of obvious your body's built for it but we're not built for you know the motion of pulling an oar and so um i i started to put a lot of attention to detail into the way that motion uh was supposed to unfold and i think towards the end of high school Cracking that, like the mechanics of it, was really what let me make the jump to the next level.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just love um, the mentality of people who play sports. And, you know, I've never met someone who has competed in the Olympics, but, you know, not many people are patient enough to work for years toward achieving a specific goal, especially when there is no guarantee when you are, if you're going to win. What kept you motivated for years while you were training?
1: Yeah, I'd say that um, I always my whole career had smaller, more attainable goals set. Mm -hmm. And so it was never like I I honestly didn't even consider going to the Olympics until maybe, um, you know, the summer after my freshman year of college when I had like made an, made my first international senior level A-final, so like top six finish in the world, at, that was the only point at which I was like, oh yeah, the next level would be to go to the Olympics. Uh-huh. Everything up until then was just, okay, well, I, I really want to win a uh, a Northeast Regional High School Championship. And then after that, okay, well, let's, let's see if we can get a medal at a national championship. And all right, well, maybe we can make the the U19 national team and then oh maybe I could make the U23 national team and so it was always these um, smaller like sometimes they were a year-long goal most often they were like what's happening next month kind of goal um, that eventually led me to to the Olympic Games.
0: Do you um, have those goals even in life so even going to Harvard did you think like oh I want to go to Harvard or was it something that you know, you had like a monthly goal or, you know, I want to do great this year or great this semester.
1: Um, I've always liked school. And so it's, uh, like I've never felt like it's, it was, it was too much work because they're like, I had a passion for a lot of the stuff and it was fun. And I honestly went to Harvard because I love the rowing coaches there. (laughs) Um, and I, I really wanted to row for this guy named Charlie Butt and his, uh, his freshman coach, Linda Murray, And so that was really kind of the deciding factor in, in where I went to college it was just like which coach I felt like could help me get to the next level.
0: Mm. So, I mean, I did some research on you and I found that you were one of the best junior rowers in the country when you were in high school. Do you think you are like naturally gifted or is that something like, is that a skill that you cultivated over time?
1: Um, I would say more on the cultivated end of the spectrum. I was never like initially I wasn't really any good at rowing. Um, probably I didn't really start to figure it out till maybe like the end of my junior year of, um, of high school. And like, actually I, I started out rowing in in a group of, with four other guys, my age, um, as a seventh grader and, um, I was never immediately good at it, but kind of started to figure out, uh, towards the end of high school. And then I think in college kind of came into my own, um, from a fitness perspective. And so, um, and so, yeah, it was definitely a slow evolution.
0: Wow. I mean, how did you go from not being good at it to being one of the best? Like what did you do? I mean, did you train more than all of your teammates or what were some of your routines?
1: Um, I was definitely like, I went through a period of time where I was militant about training. Like I took every single practice so seriously. Um, and I think more so, more than like putting in tons of extra hours, like I was definitely at the end of high school, like I was waking up in the morning to, to erg in my parents basement and all that good stuff. But it was more that I have always approach practice with a pretty high intensity and in particular um just like a relentless technical focus that was what it like it really took was dire to get that motion totally right and the repetition and just focus and the drilling uh that 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 took is kind of what let me make, make the jump from you know being a, a good junior rower to a very good elite rower.
0: I feel like with, in terms of like focus, if we think about like resolution, right. When people have New Year's resolution for like a week or two, they're like, yeah, I want to, you know, be, be in the best shape or I want to be the best person. But like for someone to be consistent and persistent, they need to have a mindset. Like what did you do to have that discipline or have that mindset?
1: Yeah. um, I had a coach in college who used to say that optimism and perceived progress are the force multipliers and so I and I really feel like particularly the second part of that statement uh, has rung true with me and that if you can find a way to be sort of benchmarking yourself all the time and see like little progress day by day, it's much easier to keep your um, keep your focus like it's um, it's hard to say at the beginning of the year, I want to win a national championship this year and then just grind away for 350 days and winning a national championship or, or whatever. But it's much easier to say, okay, next month I have an ERG test. I need to break 615 on this ERG test. The month after that, like work towards that, do it next month. All right, we've got our first race of the season coming up. We need to beat Delaware. And like, that's got to happen. And so kind of just working towards these like smaller intermediate goals, I think is the way to way to make that happen.
0: So you have a big goal, but at the same time, like every day or every week, you have smaller goal that leads to that big goal.
1: Totally. Yeah. And it has to be internal. Like, you got to be doing it all for the right reasons. And you got to want to just beat yourself like you want to be better than And you were yesterday, not necessarily like win the accolade of, you know, oh, yeah, I'm so celebrated because I've done X, Y, and Z. It's got to be more internal.
0: Wow. Um, So for London Olympics, you missed making it by such a small margin. How did that affect you as an athlete?
1: I am. I it was a really hard break not making it uh, to London. We had. Um, you know, I, I was a part-time student in school that fall 2011, and then I left school in the spring of 2012 to train full-time, uh, to try to make the, the U.S. team in the lightweight double for London. Um, we moved all over the country and world, different training camps, races, um, training all the time. It was more training than I had ever done before, um, and, we ended up coming uh, up just short. We were the we won the U.S. Olympic trials, but we were the last country to not qualify for the Olympics. Wow. And so that was a really tough break, and I had a couple of weeks or months there where I was sort of unsure of, you know, if I felt like rowing was fun anymore because the last, you know, nine months had been such a grind. Um, and to see it kind of come up short was discouraging. Mm-hmm. Um. But I would say that what really turned it around for me was going back to uh, a college team and being you know, in that environment where there's a lot of other guys pushing each other every day, just really, really high-quality people. Um, we had a great crew that year, went undefeated, won a national championship. And so that team environment was really kind of what brought me back into the sport.
0: So, I mean, how differently did you train for Rio then? How differently? Yeah.
1: Um, I would say that this time around it was, it was more of just a maturity thing. Like I had four m- more years of international racing under my belt. I kind of knew the way things were going to unfold. I had been to the Olympic trials before and it was sort of just a like, um, I don't know. It just wasn't quite as fresh and therefore it wasn't quite as scary going through all the steps. Um, and so, it's a little bit more able to just focus on my business than worrying about, uh, you know, all the unknowns out there.
0: Mm. Wow. Do you have like any pre-race rituals, or do you do anything before the race to prepare? T-
1: yeah. Um. I would say that every year is different. Um. But that it's funny, like particularly as a double you develop like a big part of becoming a good double is kind of developing this chemistry um, with one another. And each year you kind of start to adopt like a certain cadence or, or rhythm to your warm up and, and preparation and the days going into the race and how you're making weight, how, you know, like you give your partner space at certain times, other times you're, you know, more lively. And so, um it's it's a complex ritual and it changes year to year but we do spend a lot we put a lot of effort into uh nailing our warm-up and being ready to race
0: so what's like your thought before you race for the olympics like what do you do probably like half an hour before you race
1: um usually then i am just so dialed into trying to get uh trying to get the boat rowing correctly. Um, I've always felt like people focus too much on the trying to push off the dock already rowing perfect and the idea that like you should be so drilled that immediately when you hit the water, it's going perfect. I think that's an unrealistic expectation and it causes a lot of anxiety when things start off on the wrong foot. So I've always been a big believer of like, you push off the dock and it's okay if the first couple of minutes of rowing don't feel totally right, but it's the ability to know how do we go from here to getting it absolutely right. When the starting gun goes off, um, mm-hmm. that it's like a critical, critical period of time.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, I think we can use that in life as well, right? Like even if you start not that great, as long as you keep going.
1: Totally. Yeah. You just have to know how to fix it. Um, and there's like, you, you have to be able to use every tool and technique at your disposal to get it right and to be able to diagnose the problem, too.
0: Mm-hmm. You're also, I mean, I love uh, what Red Bull is doing. And, you know, even if I don't drink Red Bull, I just love their marketing and what they do with their products. And how was it being uh, part of Red Bull community?
1: Yeah. Red Bull, um, is an amazing organization. It was, it's, it's been such a fun ride with those guys. Um, they, they've been incredibly supportive of me and I think have been super forward thinking and sponsoring rowers. Like I was the, um, you know, uh, among my peers, like one of the only sponsored athletes period, but you know, to have this company is traditionally, been more of a factor in the extreme sports market to be pushing into, um, endurance sports shows that they're a brand that has like real commitment to, um, to like the true, like underlying principles of sport and, you know, the positive things that, uh, that it can do, do for people.
0: Yeah. So if an athlete or if someone who wants to go to Olympics right now, if they're listening to this podcast, like, what advice would you like to give them?
1: Um I would say that yeah, I mean it just has to be internal. You get, you have to be doing it for the right reasons. And then uh like functionally, I, it was really helpful for me to have a job while I was training full time um during college every summer I just trained. I didn't work, was just like a hundred percent rowing. And I think that's a sustainable life for a couple months at a time and you know during the summers in college. But after I graduated, it was I think really important for me to to work, get a career going. Um feel like I had something to think about outside of rowing when things weren't going well. Cause there are a lot, a lot of days when things just are not going well. And so you have to have some some hedging in your life to balance that out.
0: Mm. I mean, you went to one of the hardest schools. You are in the Olympics. How do you manage time? Or how do you... I mean, is there a thing called work-life balance?
1: Um. Yeah, certainly. I... Uh... I mean, I, when I was training and working full time, it was just like I was constantly grinding because we trained really hard all weekend. Monday was my day off training, just worked all day. And then the rest of the week was, you know, this uh, intense balance of training and working. Um, but I sort of felt like the, the balance between, um, you know, being a software engineer and, and being an athlete, like those two things offset each other enough that, that I felt like I did have balance in my life, despite the fact that I was just really busy all the time.
0: How long did you do that for, like being a software engineer and working? Like how, how long was that for?
1: Uh, it was for like two years.
0: Wow. So you worked and did rowing straight up for two years?
1: Yes, yeah. it's really not all that much different than being a student athlete. Um, so yeah, I think that my, my time in college prepared me well to, uh, to, um, you know, live that lifestyle.
0: So was it like seven days a week or did you have a day off?
1: Um, I, so our day off of rowing was Monday because, so my double partner also worked and, um, having Monday off meant that we could work in the office a full day, and then Saturday and Sunday were two of our biggest days of training, so we would really, really get after it, kind of train all day during the weekend, take Monday off, work a full day, and then the week it was like, train for a couple hours in the morning, go to work, come back around 4.30, do another practice, um, you know, eat dinner, go to bed, so it was a, definitely a full schedule.
0: Did you ever ever felt like you got like burnt out or if you did, what did you do about it?
1: Um, yeah, I definitely at times felt burnt out and I towards the end, I sort of just got tired of being tired like the <laughs> the the training was so demanding that I I sort of just didn't feel like myself a lot of the time. Cause I was, I was just a little bit out of it. You know, I was yeah. just tired. Um, and I don't know. I think that there are, you got to accept and like, I knew there were going to be times like that. I had done it before. Um, you sort of know like, okay, this is going to last for a finite amount of time. Like, you can hang on, you can do anything for a couple months. Um, And so I think that's like where the maturity and having done it before kind of really shows its benefit is that, you know, like you can do this. Like it's been done before. Don't freak out, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: So how many hours was it like working and rowing all together in a week?
1: Um, so, I don't know, we we would row like um, from 7 a.m. to 9.30 in the mornings during, yeah, most days. And then again from like 4.30 to 6 in the afternoon. Sometimes like every third day we would do a wait session in between that. Um so yeah, it was a it was a good amount of hours. <laughs> wow.
0: I mean, I'm so impressed and fascinated that you were able to do that for 2 years. And I'm asking that because I mean, I work full time and I do podcasts and there are times where I'm exhausted. So I just wanted to understand your mentality as to how you got yourself through that.
1: Yeah, totally. Um I it's I sort of love that grind, you know? Like I I like feeling like I'm really pushing myself. Yeah, it's kind of fun.
0: Um what was your favorite moment of rowing?
1: Um probably like the the proudest moment of my rowing career I is um the so what was it now? It was the 2014 head of the Charles mm-hmm. um and so I I, I I rode in Boston from you know the age of 19 uh through 25 and um I I just like or I guess I moved to Boston when I was you know I was 18 mm-hmm. um and that world there like so so became my family like th- there were just a really really strong vibrant rowing community super nice people that like guys way older than me kind of taking me under their wing as a kid like inviting me to come to come out and practice with them the singles and so I I love that rowing community up there and every year the biggest fall race in the world, um, is this event called head of Charles. It happens in Boston, quarter of a million people come out to watch it. It's a huge, huge deal. Um, two day regatta over a, uh, over a four and a half kilometer course on the, on Charles river. And so I entered in the heavyweight single, the champ single, which is, um, you know, the, so the champ single and the champ eight are like people call like the marquee or blue ribbon events um, and was competing against like a number of Olympic champions, super high end rowers. And I, uh, I won it. It was like very unexpected. I trained super hard for it. Um, I was coming off kind of a disappointing finish at the world championship that year. um, And it was just so fun to win that particular race on my home course. And like in that year, the 50th anniversary of the Charles. Um, but yeah, that is definitely the proudest moment of my rowing career.
0: Well, that's amazing. Congratulations. Uh, I want to ask one question for like people who are listening who might not be athlete. I, um, I feel like you have something internal, right? You have that drive to work hard and, you know, give your best in every single thing you do. But for people who are stuck in their life or who are stuck into this, um, like routine of things that they're doing every single day, but they don't want to be doing, what do you think they can do to break their habit and become more like you or become more driven?
1: Um, I would say that the, that Taking ownership is such a huge part of you know fixing problems, and I I've talked to a lot of people, particularly I feel like in my own generation that that complain like I feel so unfulfilled by my work, I don't like my job, I'm unhappy, and a lot of it is sort of blaming other forces for these uh, for these you know supposed like root causes of unhappiness and. I've, I've always felt like I, I, I could be happy doing almost any job, uh, there is because I would find a way to make myself enjoy it or if I wasn't enjoying it to like pursue some aspect of it or, um, drive towards like a slight like, you know, modification in what I was doing or my process that made me enjoy it. And so I think that. Really taking ownership and being and saying, like, how can I make this into something that I think is cool and positive is, uh, is, you know, the biggest way to get yourself out of a situation you don't think is great. Yeah.
0: Is, is that something that you learned from your parents or your coaches or how did you come about that understanding?
1: Uh, I think that was really something I just like very emphasized in my family growing up. Um, it was like, if you had a problem, like, just just fix it. There's no, there no reason to complain about something if, because you have all the resources you need to make it better.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's so true. Um, I want to ask you some rapid-fire questions just to get to know you a little bit more. Um, so if you could be one person for a day, who would you be and why?
1: Um... I would be I don't know, I don't want to be anyone else. I'm really happy with
0: that. <laughs> uh what's your favorite movie or documentary?
1: Um I am I'm oh, I'm more of a TV show guy and I would say that my favorite TV show of all time is The Wire.
0: <laughs> okay. I've, I haven't watched it actually. Okay. Uh two books you would recommend?
1: Um I would recommend um I I just read uh Hardboiled Wonderland at the End of the World by Murakami, great book. Um and then Active Portfolio Management by Grinold and Kahn.
0: That sounds definitely interesting. Um what advice would you give to your eighteen-year-old self?
1: Uh, just chill out a little bit. I feel like I was wound a bit tight as a uh, as an eighteen-year-old. Just really wanted, uh, really wanted to be good at rowing and everything. And I and I sort of um, I think I in my later years of my career realized like, oh yeah, I can get this done without you know, being stressed out a lot of the time. So I'd say, like, just chill out, let it happen.
0: (laughs) You know what's so funny? I've, like, interviewed almost, like, 10 people now, and every single person says the same thing. Really? Yeah. So do do you feel like if you had relaxed a little bit, you could have accomplished the same amount of work that you had accomplished?
1: That is a great question. I ask that all the time. I don't know.
0: Because, I mean, sometimes it helps, right? Just, like, freaking yourself out.
1: Yeah, a little bit, definitely.
0: <laughs> so, if you could relive one moment in your life, which one would you choose and why?
1: If I could relive one moment? mm mm-hmm. um, I would say, I don't know, go back to the Olympics. It was super fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: When you hear about success, who's the first person that comes to your mind?
1: Who's the most successful person that I can think of? Yeah. Um uh my dad, he's a great guy. S- super hard worker. Yeah, he's a legend. <laughs>
0: okay. Cool, cool, cool. Um so where can people find you in like Facebook or in um uh, social media?
1: Um I have a fairly active Twitter account. I'm at the Andy Camps. I also have a decently active Instagram um, also at the Andy camps and I do have Facebook page though it's not quite as active Um, nowadays you'll see fewer posts about me rowing and more posts about me cycling that's kind of been my my new outlet as of late Um, but yeah and my Twitter you'll see mostly posts about like data science and uh, investing
0: (laughs) are you um, planning to go for Tokyo 2020
1: um, up in the air. I am currently working full time, um, out here in the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, I'm still rowing and staying fit, um, with the idea that I, that I could go back next fall, but I want to give it a full year of not thinking about going back so that when I do make decision, I know I've made it in the like absolute right place and right mindset. Awesome.
0: I also saw that you um met Barack Obama. How was that experience?
1: That was really fun. Wow. I I I just couldn't get over how three-dimensional he was, you know, like he's <laughs> he's not just like a picture, he's a real person. Um that was a super fun trip. It was really cool because it was like a month after the Olympics ended. Mm-hmm. And so I got to meet all these people through the Olympics, living in the village with them, and then to kind of come back to the White House, it felt like a total reunion, seeing everyone again.
0: What did you tell him, or what did you tell you,
1: Barack Obama? Yeah, I was kind of just so starstruck. Um, I I didn't I I didn't I don't even really remember. It was just like I'm a huge fan. He's like, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of you. When I, I I got to meet Joe Biden, and I just had the overwhelming urge. To tell him that he looked just like Joe Biden. <laughs> is that weird?
0: <laughs> Did you tell him that?
1: No, I didn't tell him that, <laughs> but I just where I was like, oh my god, this guy looks just like Joe Biden. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait this is Joe Biden.
0: Well, I I I think I'd be shocked too. Like they you see them in TV and like actually meeting them. Yeah. Wow, well, that's really cool. I know you have to leave early, but um just want to ask you the last question. What's your definition of courage?
1: Um, uh, courage, better known as having guts, is, um, is the ability to put yourself on the line when you really don't know uh, what the outcome is going to be.
0: Well, how can one cultivate that courage
1: um i think it all comes back to what we were talking about before like you just got to you got to uh, by taking responsibility and like putting things on yourself you will cultivate a uh, a sense of self-worth that allows you to have courage mm. all
0: right Thank you so much, Andrew. I had a really good time talking with you.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's been great.
0: Of course. Hey, you guys, thank you so, so much for listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate your time. And if you enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe because every single week I will come up with awesome and epic interviews like this one. And do not forget to check out my website, limitlessgrid.com for show notes.